Hey, welcome everybody. We're glad that you're joining us uh, on our weekend event online. And uh, if you're part of our church family, hi to you and welcome. And if you're just checking us out from somewhere in Canada or Regina area or Saskatchewan, hey, hi, welcome to you. And we're glad you're here. Uh, this Sunday, this message is kind of a standalone message. We're kind of in between series. Uh, we just finished a series called uh, Anchored in Uncertainty, which really was a focus on what God was doing to help us during these difficult times, and actually just the difficult times of life period. Uh, God is there for us. And starting in uh, next Sunday, we're going to be starting a new series called Radiant, and it's based out of the book of Ephesians, the whole study. And we're thinking, God willing, we're going to go through June, July, and August with this study from Ephesians. And we welcome you to check that out. Maybe you want to read that book in advance if you have a Bible you like to read, uh, just check it out before, uh, even before next Sunday. So welcome to you uh, to in involve in that. So this Sunday being sent out on the, on the Christian church calendar, there's uh, called uh, Pentecost Sunday. And it's kind of a global sort of Christian church kind of calendar event. There's Christmas, there's Easter story, you know, the, the crucifixion, death and burial of Christ and his resurrection. And then following in the Jewish rhythm of things after that Passover is what's called the Feast of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, and it's really... Uh, we often, as charismatic Pentecostal people, we kind of focus on the, what the Holy Spirit was doing on Pentecost Sunday, thus our name, Pentecostals. Uh, but there's more to it than that. It actually, maybe the bigger deal in some ways is the fact that on this first Pentecost Sunday, we're going to read about in Acts chapter 2. And if you got your Bibles or device, we're going to be landing in three places in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and Acts chapter 16. So you can just track with me if you like to. Um, so on this first Pentecost Sunday uh, that we're going to read about in just a couple of minutes, it actually was the beginning of of the whole church movement. So what we're living in here in Regina, Saskatchewan right now, being part of a church on the prairies, this that we're part of actually started, uh, not, not our denomination, but the church movement started thousands of years ago on Pentecost Sunday. It was the birth of the church. And so we're going to talk about that. Now, just to kind of set a little bit of a backdrop, um, we believe that God is the supreme being and that he created all that we see. He created the heavens and the earth and all living things, the planet that we live on. We believe it's part of his creation, that he, uh, with his great supernatural power, created all that we see out of nothing, that he made what we now live in and what we enjoy. Um, <clears throat> but it's been in the heart of God from creation till now to reveal himself to mankind. And so one of the ways, actually, you can experience that yourself, uh, one of these beautiful summer evenings. I understand the mosquitoes are coming, so you may want to get out and get it done before the mosquitoes land. But if you, if you live in Regina, you're going to have to get in your car, get your family, load them in the car, give the kids some sugar or something, keep them awake until the sun goes down, and then drive out into the country, find a, a back road or someplace where you can pull off into a field, get out of the car, get away from the city lights, the street lights, get out into where it's dark, pick a night when there's no clouds, and get out there and get out of the car, just walk out away from the car, and then look up 
if you've got a telescope, some people have those little uh, telescopes they bought. Take it with you and get out there and have a look at the stars above you. God said in Psalm 19, he said, <clears throat> the heavens will declare the glory of God. So God reveals himself to us through creation. <clears throat> Excuse me, the stars above, the animals, people, flowers, trees, the things that we can see and experience, they speak about the one who made them. So he reveals himself through nature. I used to run a youth program in Edmonton called Teen Time, and part of our program was horses. We had a whole bunch of horses. And we'd put city kids on these horses, and they'd ride trail rides and do whatever. And I would say to the kids, when you're riding the horse today, think about what's happening underneath you in this big animal you're riding on. Think about the muscles and the heart and the lungs and the brain and all that stuff. Realize that this is a created thing that God has made. So the, creator, the creation itself speaks of God, but there's more. <clears throat> in the biblical record, we, we hear of and we see recorded experiences where God spoke to people. Sometimes it was literally a voice, sometimes through an angelic messenger, maybe through a prophetic voice of some person, but God would speak to people and uh, he would give them directions. He would give them challenges and what they were to do with their life. You know, he was speaking to people. So revealed in nature, revealed in creation, but also spoken out. But eventually those, many of those spoken things were recorded and written down. And now we now have a Bible that has God's words in it. And even some of the biblical books that you read will have reference in there that uh, God will say to the author, write this down. Write this into a record. Keep it. And so we have the word of God, both spoken and written, that also reveals God. But there's, a, there's another little part of it I want to touch on today, and that is that God had chosen from the very beginning to use people. He was going to speak through people. God has a, a restoring plan. He wants to restore what was lost when human beings rebelled against God. And by the way, it wasn't just the first people on the planet that messed that up. We all do. We just have our own mind on things. We're just going to turn away from God and do what we want to do. And when we do that, we lose something. We lose joy and peace and we lose life. We lose purpose when we become selfish and, and doing our thing instead of his. So there's restoring what was lost, but also there's a redemptive plan to make a way for man to come alive again, to man to be set free from his sin and find new life. And so we find written in the, in the book of Genesis, God says to a man called Abram, who's later becoming known as Abraham, he said, you're going to have a family, you're going to have kids, and you're going to have uh, offspring. And he wasn't at that time. He was without children. He said, there's something coming for you. You're going to have a bunch of kids. And you're, going to, you're actually going to be the father of a nation. And I'm going to use those people to speak to the whole earth. He said, through you, through your, from, through your line, all the people of the earth will be blessed. So God was going to work through a people that he was going to choose. Not the greatest, not the smartest, not the most uh, populous people, but he was going to have a people who were to speak on his behalf. A nation that would bless other nations. That was God's heart. So this, this plan that God has to uh, 
reveal himself to people and bring them back into redemption, uh, it was going to require people to work with him. And, and honestly, uh, the Jewish people are amazing people, but they didn't really complete the task. They, they got blessed, but they do what we often do as people. They kept the blessing to themselves. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. Um, <clears throat> I have some Christian friends who sometimes speak very badly about the Jewish people because after, hey, after all, they killed Jesus and, you know, they, they didn't really fulfill their mission on earth. But you know what? If we're part of a Christian church in the Western world, guess what? We haven't fulfilled our mission either. Sometimes God has really blessed the Christians of our country. But oftentimes, I hate to say it, I do it myself, we've kept the blessing to ourselves. We've not shared it with those around us. And so we haven't fulfilled what God wanted for us. However, even though human beings may fail it, God has said, I have a plan and I have a purpose and I will see it accomplished. It's written in Ephesians that way that God says, you know what, I'm going to do what I intend to do. I will use people. If this person isn't going to do it, then I'll put my hand on that person and they'll do it. I will accomplish my purpose, but we can be a part of it if we choose to. Now, I got, I got a kind of a a no-brainer kind of obvious statement I want to make. And so as soon as I say it, you're going to go, uh, you that are listening, you're going to say, way to go, Captain Obvious, you know, like that kind of thing. But, but I need to say it because it has a point to it. Here it comes. The church didn't start in North America. There's a revelation for you. But you know, even though that's true, sometimes when I look at the Christian world in North America, you'd think by the way we talk and act that we were kind of the center of all of God's work and somehow maybe it started with us even. Well, it didn't. It didn't start in North America. It didn't start in Europe. It didn't start in Rome. It didn't start in Paris. It wasn't London. It wasn't in Russia, in Moscow. It wasn't in the Middle East, uh, you know, Asia Minor or something like that. It way out there, some other part of the continent down towards India. It didn't start there. It didn't start in the great country of China. It sure didn't start in North America. It actually starts in Jerusalem. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 to 5. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Who was they? they? It was the followers of Christ at that time. About 120 people kind of gathered after his resurrection and after he'd gone back to heaven. He told them, he said, go and wait for something. So they've gone to this place. They're waiting there in Jerusalem. There came a, a, a roaring sound like a violent wind that came from heaven. It wasn't a tornado going through the house, but it sounded like it. It caught their attention. Uh, there was like tongues of fire came and landed on the people. Again, it was a manifestation of something of the spirit. It wasn't like they were being burned up, but some fire of God came upon them. They were filled with the spirit and they began to speak languages. Now, sometimes in modern Pentecostal circles, we have people who, when they have a, a spirit filled experience, they speak in a tongue. We, we use the terminology. They speak in tongues, uh, but in this time in Jerusalem, they actually spoke a written, known language that they never learned. That's, that's the beauty of it. That's the mystery of it. And that's the supernatural part of it. At the birth of the church, these people spoke in another language from another people from far away. Now, it just so happens in Jerusalem, it says in verse 5, 
at the time of this experience happening in Jerusalem to the, at the beginning of the church, Jews from every nation under heaven had come to Jerusalem for this Passover. And they are hearing these people, these Jewish people, speaking their native tongues from somewhere in Europe, maybe in northern Africa or in the Far East or up into uh, Eastern Europe. Who knows where all these people came from? But they came and they spoke a different language. And they were hearing these people speak in their home tongue. And they, were, they, they found that pretty amazing. These people weren't trained in their, my language, but they're speaking it. And so that became quite a phenomenon that got their attention. But it's just interesting to me that even though God had originally put his hand on the Jewish people through Abraham and that whole family line to be his people to serve him, even though they didn't do really well, when the church is actually born, this next level of something God's going to do in working through people they are there at the moment when the church is born. And even to this day, the Christian church has within it a stream of what we call Messianic Jews, Jewish people who have accepted the reality that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. And that's why they say that they're Messianic Jews. They've accepted Jesus. So at this moment in Acts where this uh, outpouring has occurred, it's caused quite a fuss in people. People that have gathered, a big crowd of thousands of people have gathered, and some of them are making fun of what's happening and saying, well, these people are drunk or something. They're making this strange sounds and doing all this stuff. But it gets a crowd together. And in, the mid in that moment, Peter gets up and he begins to speak. And he starts and he tells the story of Jesus to these people. And he kind of walks them back through their record and through the Jewish teachings and through some of their prophets and some of their authors. And he shows them that, you know, it was kind of probably a lengthy bit that he did, but he, he explains to them, he said, this Jesus that uh, we've just crucified, and he says in, in, in one verse here, it says that um, this Jesus that you crucified was actually the one that God made both master and savior. And you killed him. And uh, it's like kind of this uh, bam kind of moment. Like he's preaching and all of a sudden to this crowd, he said, listen, you need to hear something from me. The one who is the centerpiece of all of God's great plan is Jesus Christ. And he said, you actually just crucified him. But you know, in an actual way, all of us crucified him. Because he died to save me from my sins. So in a sense, I created the reason for his death by my sinfulness. That he had to come and be a sacrifice for me. So Jesus is presented. The bam moment comes. You killed him. Now when, when Peter says that in verse 37, the response of the crowd back as they heard it. It says that they were challenged in their hearts. They felt a sort of a prick in their conscience. Kind of like, ah, you know. They said, their voice was, what do we need to do about this? What do we have to do? If we've done this horrible thing, what do we now need to do? And Peter's answer was, repent, turn around, change your ways, be willing to leave behind the old, repent, and be baptized. And he said, if you will do that, if you'll step towards this Jesus, uh, you'll receive forgiveness for the sins that you've committed. 
you'll be forgiven. And you receive the gift of the Spirit, which is for all that our God will call, even up to 2020 in Saskatchewan. God's still calling people, but it's based on what was accomplished that we've read about here in, in the New Testament. Now, we're going we're gonna to fast forward a number of years. We're going to go down the road a little bit deeper into the book of Acts, which is the story of this church, its starting point, and then as it began to develop and grow and spread, and we're going to see it actually move out into parts of Europe and other parts of Asia, even into Africa, uh, northern Africa, and then some records show it went down into India and that country and that area as well. So the church is beginning to, to grow and develop. So Peter and John are going up to the temple one day to pray in Jerusalem, this new part of this new church, and there's a crippled man at, at, sitting at the gate of the, of the temple as they go in. And he sits there every day. He begs to, that's how he supports himself. There's no, you know, there's not good charity systems in that time. So he's, that's how he kind of gets his livelihood is by begging money uh, from people as they're coming and going from the church, right? From the temple. So Peter and, and, and John come by and they said, look, we don't have any money, but um, we got something else for you. And, and they end up, they pray for him and he's instantly healed. The cripple stands up and, and walks away from the moment. It, it causes quite a stir because he must have been kind of a fixture in the city. This guy always sat in the same spot and all of a sudden he's walking around. And people knew he was, it wasn't faking it. He actually was a cripple. And so... The crowd that gathers, Peter and John begin to speak to the crowd, and the religious leaders who had just crucified Jesus, they're hearing Peter and John talk about Jesus and, and what Jesus can do. He actually offers us eternal life and so on. There's resurrection that can happen because of Jesus, and they're, they're preaching Jesus, and these religious guys say, hey, you can't do that, and they, they take him into custody. And they put him into prison. But the interesting thing is that while these guys are preaching, now back in Acts 2, when Peter preached that first message and said, listen, listen, they said, what do we need to do? And he said, do this. They did it. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus at that time. Now here, years later, time later, in uh, this next sort of preaching moment outside the temple with this crippled guy, Another 2,000 joined the church, and it's now grown to 5,000. So this, this gospel thing is happening. Life change is happening. So at the very birth of the church, people were being touched. We've heard people speaking on behalf of God, telling the message. Here we see people healing in Jesus' name. They're actually bringing healing to somebody who had a, a real human need. Um, so after they get out of jail, the, the council brings them back and they're being sort of uh, grilled and an investigation going on like, why were you preaching in Jesus' name? Why were you doing that? We told you not to do that. You know, we don't want that name spoken. Uh, this crucifixion has happened. We want people just to forget about it. We don't want to keep bringing it up. And... Uh, so Peter said this, he said, uh, rulers and elders, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, the healing, and we're being asked, how did he get healed? Then you need to know something. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, there's that accusation again, uh, this one you killed, 
he's actually by his name, by his authority, that that man was healed. That's why he stands here healed before you today. It's because of Jesus. And he kind of uses a, a bit of a scripture piece for him. He says, this Jesus that you've rejected, the stone you builders rejected, has now become the cornerstone. In other words, what you discarded as being not important, God is actually saying he's the centerpiece. And then this kind of bombshell verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> and when I say it, Sometimes in our culture, if we say things like this, uh, it can sound arrogant. I'll, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Here, here's, the, here's the verse. It's, it is kind of a wow kind of thing. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In other words, Jesus is it. Now, if Christians say that, are we being arrogant? I'm sure some people are when they say it. But actually, there's no reason in the world why we would be arrogant. Because he came and saved us in his grace. We were so undeserving. And he came in love and mercy and touched our lives. So I have nothing to be proud of. I have nothing to say, well, I'm special. Uh, I'm not special. Jesus is special. And when you think about this church that's gone global... I've met people in Romania, I've met people in Mexico, I've met people in, in England, I've met people from uh, the Philippines, uh, I've been in the Philippines, and people there who have nothing to do with Canada or United States, they have been touched by the same Jesus that touched me in Calgary, Alberta in 1973, touched the life of somebody in Romania about the same time. So this Jesus has been the answer to human need on a global scale. And he holds, he holds that as being something unique to him. Now we're going to go deeper into the story to Acts chapter 16. And it's a different setting, but we're going to see some similar things taking place. Now Paul and Silas have been in this city and they're doing their ministry and a young lady kind of starts to follow them around. And uh, this young lady has been possessed by something evil. There's like an evil entity has taken her captive and allows her to know things in a supernatural way. And people use her as a, like a, a fortune teller to tell them things they want to know things, information, pieces that they may need for their business or their family. They, they use her and they pay her money. And people that own her, she's like a slave, uh, they, make, they make money off people by using this dark gift that's in her life. So she's tormented and she's following Paul and Silas around. And Paul realizes the anguish she's in and he stops one day and he, he rebukes this evil thing that's taken her captive and he throws her, this thing out of her life and she's free. But she no longer has the capacity to do the fortune telling piece. And so she's not making any money for her handlers anymore. And they stir up a crowd against Paul and Silas. And they have Paul and Silas thrown into jail. So they've been beaten and thrown into prison. And in the middle of the night, um, in Acts chapter 16, you can read about it, um, they're singing God's praises. They're in the midst of pain and suffering and horror. I mean, they don't know what the future is going to hold. This may, they may get killed from this. Uh, but somehow they found this peace from God in the middle of it. And 
they're okay. And they're singing and having kind of a, a good moment. And so I'm sure the jailer is hearing that. But right about that time, an earthquake hits. And that part of the world, uh, lots of earthquakes happen over there. And this earthquake hit with such violence that it broke the prison. The walls, the doors, whatever, probably the windows fell out. Uh, the thing is busted. And the jailer thinks, oh no, the prisoners will have escaped. And kind of in the, the way that they, they lived, the people that acted as jailers in some of those countries in some of that time, if the prisoners escaped, the jailer lost his life. And so he realizes this, these guys have now got Paul and Silas probably ran away and uh, I'm going to die for this. So he, he decides to take his own life first. He's going to commit suicide. And uh, so he's just about to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. He was just about to do it. And Paul and Silas stop him. Let me just stop there as well. Like a lot of people think that the fact that Paul and Silas are having a, a good moment in a nightmare moment, um, they say that's a great witness for Jesus. Well, it was. I'm sure it was. But what happens next is even a greater witness. So Paul and Silas, if they, if they really had it in their heart, all they had to do was keep on singing the worship of Jesus and the jailer was going to commit suicide. And you could, they could kind of think to themselves, well, he had that coming. You know, he was an evil man. He's getting his just rewards, you know. And all they had to do was just not pay any attention to it. They could keep having church while this guy literally went to hell. And so they could have done that, but they didn't. Paul and Silas stopped him. They made a point of saying, listen, don't do it. Don't do it. We're here. Don't kill yourself. And I want to tell you, I think that act of kindness, they actually saved the man's life. It says when, he, when they did that, the jailer got some lantern or something and ran in where they were and uh, brought them out. And then he said to them, he asked them a question. The people in Acts chapter 2, after they were challenged about what they'd done to Jesus, they had a question. What must we do to be saved? This man has the same question. What do I need to do? What do, what's my part in this? What do I need to do now? And I want to just say, if you're, if you're checking this out online, and maybe, you're, maybe you already are a Christian person, or maybe you, you have not started that journey, maybe some of the things that you're hearing, maybe some of the things that God is saying into your life, they're creating a question. And the question might be, what do I need to do? Like, what's, what's my next step? Like, what, how do I do this? How do I talk to God? How do I respond to God? You may have questions. And I want to tell you, before you even talk to anybody else, you can talk to God and he will start to give you some answers. But if you need to have questions answered, you want to talk to somebody, you call the church, you contact the church, you can see it on our site how to do that. And one of us will talk with you. We'll, we'll try to help you find some answers to the questions that you have. And the answer that he, he said, what do I need to do? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved and your whole family. And uh, they spoke more things to him. That wasn't all they said, but that was the punchline. And, uh, and that says at that very hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Now think about this. This is a guy who just beat him up a while ago. And now he's washing the wounds that he probably even had a part in creating. 
And then he and all, after he did that, he and his whole family were baptized. How in the world did they do that? I don't know. Maybe they got jugs of water and poured it on them. or I don't know. But they, they took this step that was a step that they would take to say, I'm following Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And I want to just say to you out there, if you're watching and you've not yet been baptized, maybe you've been a Christian for years or maybe you're, you're just sort of starting this journey, you call us. We'll walk with you and have you take that step at your leading, at your heart. We'll help you take that step of baptism, which is really, really important. It's not really optional. It's a really important thing for all of us to do. Um, so they say, I believe, and they do that. And then here's, here's the sweet part. It says, the jailer brought them into his house. So he had them locked up in prison. He beat them up. Something's changed his life. He brings his prisoners to his house, and he gives them a meal, and it says that he's filled with joy. This jailer is filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This all happened in one night. Imagine. So in the birthing of the church, the message of the gospel is going forward. There's the working of the Holy Spirit and lives are being completely transformed. So when we say we're part of the church that was born in Jerusalem, we need to have these things as part of our rhythm. We need to be preaching the gospel, seeing people healed, baptizing people, helping people in their journey. That's what the Christian church is to be doing. I have a feeling that even some of the things that have happened with the pandemic have helped us be repositioned to fulfill what we were really born into as the early church. So in closing, here's some things I want to just leave with you, some kind of summing up things. God presents us with argument and with evidence that we need to wrestle with. And maybe even today, some of us are doing that right now, saying, I, boy, I'm thinking about some stuff in my life and what I should and shouldn't do and where I'm at and am I, is there something missing? I've got some questions. God's doing that. He's, he's stirring within you. There is this anointing and work of the Spirit. Like God, this, this beautiful wind that kind of breathes through people's lives and touches hearts and minds. He's probably doing that even as we're sitting here today and as we're doing what we're doing right now. Let me just say again, it's all about Jesus it's all about we, what he accomplished on the cross. It's not about all the religious trappings that surround that. That's that single focus. Jesus Christ did something for us on the cross. It changes our lives when we embrace it. Something is being presented by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a human endeavor. It's the work of God. On the human side, we have responses that we need to take our part of it as well. We need to believe. We need to trust. We make the choice and say, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust my life to you. I'm willing to turn away from the things that I'm doing right now to find life. We can call those things sin. All of us have got stuff that we do that we kind of draw energy from and try to find some joy in and some pleasure. And some of it is really dark and harmful stuff. And God says, listen, you've got to be prepared to put that away. And then there's the need to confess. I need to speak it out to people and say, you know what? I'm prepared to do a whole new thing with my life. And 
baptism. We've had wonderful services here in the, in the church that I've been, a, been able to watch and be a part of. Where every, from little kids to grandpas and grandmas have been baptized as they've chosen to follow Jesus. That's our part of the response. And then to continue to grow and learn. We just say, you know what? I'm going to follow you, God. I want to become a, a, a real committed person who works with you and gives my life to you. We keep on growing. Oh, there's a mouthful of stuff, right? I've said a lot of things to you. But right now, we're just going to stop it. And if we conclude this moment, I would just want to pray with you. And I, I'm really, I'm not just wanting to talk on camera. I want you to pray with me. And uh, if, if you're already a Christian, would you pray as you hear this and, and be praying for people who may be hearing this right now who really need to take this message to their heart? Let's just take a moment and pray together. Father, we're not going to use fancy words and we're not going to sound all religious. The actual fact is, Jesus, we need you. Reality is we just can't make this life work without you. And so right now we're saying to you, Lord, uh, we're saying, what, what do I need to do? What steps do I need to take? What's my response? What would you want to hear from me? And uh, I know what you're saying to us is just, just open your heart to me. Just let go and surrender. Stop fighting. Stop being independent and just give yourself to me. Trust me with your life. And I'll breathe new life into you. So Lord, as we, we say that today, I just pray that somewhere someone is opening their heart and mind to you. And Lord, I pray that if they're doing that, I pray that if they need help with this journey, Lord, that you would help them connect with us and that we can help them find their way. Somebody helped me in 1973. I was lost and a, and a church full of people helped my wife and I find a new way to live. And so, Lord, we pray that today. May people find life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the weekend. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another sermon podcast from Regina Apostolic Church. We hope you're inspired and challenged. For more content, find us at reginaapp.com.